I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Hey listeners, we have an ask of you. Between reading and rereading resources, reaching out to content experts, and reviewing our material, this podcast takes time, effort, and resources to share it with you every week. We are humbled and grateful for the listener and affiliate interest over the past several months and the scores of messages received letting us know that this podcast has incrementally improved their test prep has been inspiring. Special thanks to the community for engaging and interacting with the show. We want to keep the podcast focused on content that informs, prepares, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. We've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. If pushing pediatrics is a part of your day or week, and you love what we're doing, please visit the link in any of our episode guides and support us any way you can today. We are continuing with our Case Files Friday. Remember, these cases are from the Physical Therapy Pediatrics Case Files book. The reference is listed in our episode description. This week, we will continue to coordinate with our earlier episode this week and review the case on spina bifida. Here goes. A 10-year-old girl with spina bifida cystica with myelomeningocele has been working with her school-based physical therapist on functional mobility in the school environment. The child presents with a VP shunt and uses bilateral ankle foot orthoses and forearm crutches to ambulate. She uses a manual wheelchair for longer community distances. She also has a dynamic wheeled prone stander for her use at school. Her motor level has been classified as L4 and she is a community ambulator. The child has recently experienced difficulties with ambulation, such as decreased speed, decreased foot clearance, and limited endurance. Other impairments include decreased strength and endurance and incontinence. She has recently experienced a growth spurt. She has also demonstrated behavioral challenges during her physical therapy sessions. Specifically, she has decreased attention span, verbally refuses to participate in sessions, and throws equipment. 
The physical therapist contacted her parents and pediatrician to discuss the new findings and concerns. Her pediatrician performed an examination and ordered a CT scan to determine if recent changes in her function and behavior are a result of a VP shunt failure. The CT scan results revealed a functional VP shunt and no changes in the child's ventricles. Each year, the same physical therapist assesses the child's lower extremity strength via a manual muscle test. On the current manual muscle test, the physical therapist noted a marked decrease in bilateral lower extremity strength. As a result of the therapist's findings, the pediatrician referred her for an MRI scan of the spine, which revealed a tethering of her spinal cord. The child underwent surgery to untether the spinal cord and spent three days in the hospital. Three weeks after surgery, she has returned for her first physical therapy session at school. When listening to this case, remember that our child is a 10-year-old. Similar to the spinal cord case, the age of the child is very important when thinking about goals, plan of care, interventions, etc. It really needs to be on your mind when you are approaching exam questions or practice questions. Sometimes those little details derail us and we may miss an easy opportunity to narrow down our answer options based on the age of the child. We talked about this last episode. Look at the bigger picture. Let's go through the physical therapy considerations for a school-aged child with spina bifida. And in this case, it's a post-surgical. Goals are similar across all aspects and conditions of PT. So, of course, we need to prevent the loss of range of motion in both upper extremities and lower extremities. And we need to be conscious of overuse injuries in the upper extremities. We need to maximize independence with functional mobility and optimize health-related quality of life. Also, focusing on things like strength and aerobic capacity in order to maximize health and fitness is important. Important considerations for this specific diagnosis include Arnold Chiari malformation, fractures, pressure sores, tethered cord syndrome, symptomatic hypomyelia, symptomatic hydrocephalus, and VP shunt failure. Let's review quickly some of these complications. Hydrocephalus and Arnold Chiari are two common complications. Most children with spina bifida will have a VP shunt to treat their hydrocephalus and decrease the pressure of increased CSF on the brain. We need to be aware of potential for VP shunt failure. We talked about this in our last episode as well, but we're going to review it again because it's very, very important. The most common sign is a headache. Other signs include irritability, excessive and unexplained crying, vomiting, crossed eyes, apnea, swallowing difficulties, seizures, lethargy, or worsening brain function. Arnold Chiari type 2 occurs when the cerebellar vermis and a portion of the brain stem descend into the spinal canal. It's not always symptomatic. When the brain tissue descends below the level of the fourth cervical vertebra, signs and symptoms are common. These include difficulties with feeding, a weak cry or voice, stiffness or spasticity in the upper extremities, balance impairments, and respiratory difficulties. Other important considerations to be aware of is a tethered cord. This is where the spinal cord becomes attached to the spinal column and stretches the spinal cord as the child grows. Symptoms to look out for include progressive decline in lower extremity strength, gait and balance impairments, changes in bladder function, and progressive scoliosis. 
this is a really great summary of the three kind of main things that we're looking out for in a case study related to spina bifida that's going to make us very concerned. So make sure you're very comfortable with those types of things. There are a lot of orthopedic considerations as well. These are things like scoliosis, kyphosis, lordosis, and or deformities in the hips, knees, or feet, foot deformities being the most common. When examining a patient with spina bifida, we need to again be aware of those key muscle groups. There is a table in this case study that outlines the functional motor key level muscle groups. This child is post-surgical, so testing prior to the surgery and following the surgery can help you determine if any new weakness is evident following the surgical procedure. With classification, the child receives a grade of the level at which the muscle can be graded a three. Again, commit those motor levels to memory. It will serve you in your ability to break down these complex cases. The book goes through a variety of useful standard assessments for this population. This case is also specifically in the school setting, so the school function assessment is always a good option to use to determine her functioning in the school environment. Plan of care and interventions in this case are focused on maximizing the function within that school environment. In this case, they include general strengthening, range of motion and stretching to improve posture, independent sitting, and limiting future contractures. In addition, focusing on gait to allow for safe negotiation of the classroom and school are important. There is grade B evidence for treadmill training to improve gait speed and aerobic fitness in ambulatory children with spina bifida. There is also grade B evidence for upper extremity strength training programs to increase strength and independent wheelchair mobility in children with spina bifida. That wraps up another case files case study. We have enjoyed pairing these studies with the clinical summaries. Remember, as you think about this case, move outside the box and think about how this case would be different if it was a younger child. Or what if you were an outpatient therapist versus a school therapist? Would your plan or goals be different? Remember, a few weeks ago, we had posted a reel showing you where the multiple choice questions are in this book, as well as where those short answer questions are at the end of each case. I recommend going through those short answer questions because it forces you to kind of think about the different scenarios, right? The different things that you need to be thinking about with this specific case study. But short answer questions are so different, right? Because you have to produce the information. It's not just right there for you. So while you're not going to have short answer questions on the exam, it's a good way to test your knowledge to ensure that you're actually absorbing all of the information that you are studying. This could be something too that you could do with your study group. Each of you take something, come back together the next week and kind of go through what everybody came up with. And then decide what the real right answer is in your group of three or four people. Absolutely. These case studies are great, but they are a snapshot in time for the specific patients. So make sure you're confident with the objectives and make sure you can still answer the objectives if the patient or circumstance changes a bit. Thank you for joining us again this week, and we will see you guys all back after the Thanksgiving holiday. Please take some time away from studying to enjoy this time with your family and friends. We are thankful for you all and for this opportunity to be part of your PCS journey. We'll see you next time.
Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.